You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks very much for joining us. After a challenging fight that lasted more than 24 hours, a brush fire burning on the steep hillside just above Highway 99 in Horseshoe Bay has now been brought under control. But that doesn't mean the danger is gone. Our Kamal Karamali is live now with the latest. And Kamal, that highway was still closed northbound when we talked to you at 5 o'clock. What's the situation now? The staging area and fire zone behind me here where crews are putting out hot spots and assessing damage to the trees along the highway here to see if they're in danger of falling onto the roadway, which is why the northbound lanes remain closed. A tireless battle against an out of control blaze threatening Highway 99 Monday afternoon. First discovered at 1 p.m., it grew quickly to three hectares in size, shutting down the Sea to Sky Highway in both directions. Ground and air crews responded fast. West Vancouver and District of North Vancouver Fire and Rescue teaming up with BC Wildfire Service to try and control the bushfire burning in the forest above Horseshoe Bay. Quite steep slope, uh, so it takes a lot of work to get uh, our staff up there. That's why we brought in the helicopters and the tankers early uh, to kind of help slow it down. While residents watched anxiously. Looking up there and seeing a big old fire, it's pretty concerning when it's this close. The raging fire Monday evening under control by Tuesday morning. It seemed like it was, uh-oh. Ken Clay had been watching nervously from his West Vancouver home, not knowing what would happen next. He and his neighbors now breathing a huge sigh of relief. I don't believe it. I literally don't believe it. But I, I can't believe the professionality of and everything they did. It was amazing. The fire reduced to one hectare in size by Tuesday afternoon. We are doing very well because we did have a little bit of rain in the past little while. While the highway's southbound lanes were opened. The concern now for fire crews is this row of trees right along the highway and whether they're stable enough or will they topple over onto the highway. Crews spent the day putting out hot spots and cutting down trees. The fire believed to be human caused, a spark that began near this pullout off Highway 99. Now a stark warning from crews on how the smallest incident can turn into a potentially disastrous outcome near a heavily populated area during a summer that's just begun. All right, Kamala, a lot of people waiting for word on when that road will reopen fully, and the Ministry of Transportation has given you some insight on what still needs to happen. Yeah, uh, crews have been working on a geotechnical assessment of the slopes damaged by the fire. Now, that has already been completed, and what that means is checking the safety and stability of the slope to make sure it doesn't crumble onto the roadway here. What needs to happen now, Sophie, is scaling work needs to be done, and that's where crews check for and assess any loose debris that might tumble down from the cliff face and the slopes here. That is not quite done yet, so only then will these northbound lanes reopen. No timeline given to us yet on when that scaling work will be completed and when these lanes will reopen. But uh, you're asked to check Drive BC for the latest. Back over to you. All right, thanks for that. Kamal Karamali reporting live for us. Well, hard to believe with a high fire risk across BC, but the wildfire services, three recent fires near Port Alberni are suspicious in nature. 
Kylie Stanton has the details of a disturbing trend in fire activity on Vancouver Island. Just the sight of this is enough to spark fear in residents here. It was panic and we start uh, uh, revisiting our, our safety plan. I have a suitcase packed if I should have to leave in a hurry. On Monday, the BC Wildfire Service responded to three new fires, burning in the Roger Creek area on the outskirts of Port Alberni all believed to be human-caused and considered suspicious. This incident is a spot-sized brush fire, so we're comfortable with the resources on scene and the current fire behavior that crews will be able to effectively suppress this fire. But given what the region has been going through these past few weeks, the news is not only rattling, but also frustrating. It's really dry out there, and I think people have to, you know, take precautions. It is very scary with the highway the way they are right now and not being able to get out. The Cameron Bluffs wildfire continues to burn along Highway 4, the major artery connecting Port Alberni, Euclid and Tofino to the rest of Vancouver Island. The blaze, also human-caused, is now under control and contained at 229 hectares. The highway is now open to single-lane alternating traffic, but getting to this point meant an outright closure for weeks on end, and it's expected the impact will be felt throughout the summer. We have two businesses in Euclid that were both shut down during the fires and they've still not come back. Yeah, it's definitely concerning. The three fires here have now all been put out, but only add to the growing number crews have responded to so far this season. On Vancouver Island, BC Wildfire Service has responded to 46 fires compared to two on the same day last year. So all 46 of these fires are known to be human-caused. Who are these people lighting these fires? Natural resource officers are on site, and the investigation is ongoing. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Okay, senior meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with more on the forecast and the fire risk going into this long weekend. Christy. That's the biggest concern, really, Chris, is how dry it is and the potential for more fires. Uh, in, at YVR, we only had four substantial days of rain, where, as typically in the month of June, we get quite a bit of rain. Uh, and in the last week, we've had no significant rain across the south coast. And right now, we have no significant rain in the forecast, as far as we can see. And we well know that it is tinder dry out there. There is some good news when we head into the long weekend. It looks like we had been advertising sort of 30 degree weather for the south coast but it looks like a upper level trough will shift across northern bc that will bring rain into those regions not for our area but what it will do is bring those temperatures down so hopefully we won't see that surge in heat which can also be dangerous across our region back to you all right we'll check in a little later too thanks christy BC's opposition is demanding changes after a number of Tumbler Ridge residents reported they weren't covered by provincial compensation for people forced to flee wildfires. 2,400 people had to flee the community earlier this month as a wildfire burned within a few kilometers of town. Provincial regulations require evacuees to register to receive help with accommodations and food. But some of those in Tumblr Ridge chose to drive to Alberta and did not register with emergency support services. That has meant they don't necessarily qualify for financial aid. Because they didn't go to a reception center and uh, register there and because they needed help with housing or food, is there is nothing, no support from them from the ministry through ESS and there's no reimbursement, which I think, you know, 
It's going to change. Surely to God, we can come up with a very simple app that allow people to register and just be reimbursed automatically. This isn't rocket science. You know, it happens in the private sector every day. The province says in some cases it will reimburse people who have to evacuate outside B.C. But in this case, there was enough accommodation available in the Peace region. Two years after the deadly heat dome settled over B.C., the provincial government is launching a new program to try and keep thousands of vulnerable people cool if it happens again. Richard Zussman has details of a new program to put free air conditioners in the homes of those with low incomes and chronic health issues. In a province where the realities of climate change are becoming clearer, the B.C. government turning up the cool air. The government is taking new action to invest $10 million in BC Hydro to provide free air conditioning units to vulnerable people throughout the province. It's been nearly two years since a heat dome led to the death of 619 British Columbians. The air conditioners will be available for free to those in the province through BC Hydro. It's unclear exactly who qualifies and how quickly the units will be in place. We still have to purchase and acquire and install air conditioners, and that can take some time. The 2021 heat dome led to the deaths of two people per 100,000 in Washington and Oregon State. Here in B.C., it was 12 people to 100,000. And still, Oregon put in place an air conditioner program in 2022, and B.C.'s is only coming now. We saw in Oregon, Washington, uh, that cooling units were distributed uh, much more quickly. BC senior advocate is supportive of the program, but more is needed in these emergency situations. There'll be other people for whom that's not going to work, and we need to get them uh, to a cooling center. For want of a better term, we need a bit of an evacuation plan. And we haven't got that piece totally sorted out yet. The province has also bolstered the ambulance service. In the heat dome, those, in some cases without air conditioners, waiting hours for an ambulance to arrive. A lot of things have changed since then, and I think we're better prepared as a province and a society. Um, and then I, I just really, uh, you know, commend the, the, the announcement today to try and do more to be better prepared. The province preparing for heat dome events that experts were once saying came once in a generation, now could come multiple times in a decade. Richard Zussman, Global News. The Western Premier's conference wrapped up just a short time ago in Whistler and a number of issues were discussed, including the need for greater support from Ottawa. Richard Zussman joins us live with more on what was accomplished at the meeting. Richard? We've been hearing a lot of thunder here in Whistler, uh, Sophie, but it's the sound of premiers that is now resonating in Ottawa as they are attempting to up the pressure on getting more funding for projects in this part of the country. Premier David Eby hosting the premiers from Alberta, Manitoba, Saskatchewan and the three territories. And the big push is around infrastructure and specifically tying money when it comes to new immigrants uh, directly to how many people arrive in a province. With more and more people moving here to British Columbia and other places in Western Canada, the premiers want to see that bore out when it comes to more funding. Here's BC Premier David Eby. Uh, whether it's uh, funding for Indigenous housing, whether it's funding for infrastructure, uh, that British Columbia needs to see at least our fair share on a per capita basis. 
The other big issue that Premier Eby brought up was that around funding infrastructure, especially when it comes to transportation corridors. And one of the things he mentioned was ensuring that uh, trucks and other uh, transportation vehicles moving goods can move so uh, smoothly. That could potentially mean in areas outside of where cars move. What that looks like is still unclear, but it is part of the process the province is trying to do here to get more infrastructure money from Ottawa to ensure that BC gets its fair share as described by the Premier, Sophie. All right, we'll see if uh, it has any impact. Thanks for that, Richard Zussman in Whistler. Once again, financially stretched Vancouver taxpayers are facing potentially huge property tax increases year after year. The result of a city report with fiscal realities City Council is now grappling with. Kristen Robinson has the numbers and what councillors say they're doing to try to prevent the hikes. From road maintenance to garbage collection, costs are going up. In order to balance the budget at current service levels, Vancouver staff report projects an average property tax increase of 9% would be needed for the next five years or an extra $116 annually for the median strata property. It is not direction from council and it is not the final property tax increase that we want to see. Without service cuts or tax hikes, the outlook says high inflation, a labour shortage and supply chain challenges could make it tough for the city to meet its $730 million in annual capital spending. But the reality is, is these costs are going to increase. We have an incredible infrastructure deficit and we have you know, inflationary pressures on everything from wages to construction that we're going to have to figure out how to pay for. It's too much and the taxpayers won't put up with it. Why do we never hear about these types of tax hikes in other cities? I think Vancouver is burdened with a very significant uh, workforce that is expensive. Housing, former councillor George Affleck says, has also been downloaded from the feds and province. The city looking to move away from spending on programs senior levels of government are responsible for. Under Kennedy Stewart in 2021, Vancouver spent $168 million building affordable housing, $23 million on childcare, the same on homelessness, and $4 million on the opioid crisis, eating up 15% of the city's operating budget. So we won't see $218 million spent on other governments' responsibilities in this term. Well, we are really glad that uh, we're seeing increased spending in these areas from the senior levels of government. Vancouver homeowners were hit with a 10.7 property tax hike this year, up from the 9.7% initially projected. So far, they are saying yes to pretty much everything. They have not owned the budget in a way that I would want them to say, is that their budget or is this still a Vision Vancouver budget from six years ago? Council is expecting cost-saving recommendations in October from the mayor's task force created to find efficiencies and new revenue opportunities in future city operating budgets. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Disturbing new details related to a shocking targeted hit outside a Surrey Gurdwara. Hardeep Singh Nijar died in a hail of bullets. And it turns out another man says he was also warned about threats on his life by RCMP. What Maninder Singh says he was told by investigators. Next. I need a big new house on an episode of Creeps and a bathroom I can play soccer in. And <laughs> rock star dreams. Why Whitecaps coach Fanny Sartini is warming up the vocals later in sports. Also tonight, a woman from B.C. who took her love of hockey to Florida and started something special. That's later.
Right now, though, new developments related to that targeted hit that killed a Sikh leader outside of Surrey Gurdwara on June 18th. He may not be the only one whose life is in danger. Tonight, allegations that victim Hardeep Singh Nijjar was among five people warned by RCMP that he was under imminent threat of assassination. Krista Dow spoke to a man who says he was one of them, and the RCMP has done nothing to offer protection. In his last public appearance, Moninder Singh addressed a crowd at Hardeep Singh Nijjar's funeral. The 42-year-old speaking publicly about the warning from RCMP's National Security Division he received last July. We were at uh, quote-unquote imminent threat of assassination. Um, and uh, when we actually asked where that threat was coming from, uh, we were told that we can't tell you that. And when he asked for protection, you're on your own. Singh says he and four others were warned, including his close friend Hardeep Singh Nijjar, who was gunned down in his truck in the parking lot of a Surrey Gudwara on June 18th. Police believe Nijjar was targeted. The question back to the authorities now that we're asking is, is that one of those five is gone. Um, and he was warned repeatedly throughout the year what's going to happen to the other four. Singh's current whereabouts unknown. He's distancing himself from his family, concerned for their safety. I don't want my family anywhere near, near me in those moments where there might be danger. Before his death, Nijjar also raised concerns about being on a hit list. In this May interview, he says the people who are raising their voices about human rights can be murdered, and India has the ability to do it. Our safety should be made a priority. I have no reason to say that the Sikh community is in any further danger at this point. That sentiment at odds with the Sikh community, many of whom protested outside India's consulate Saturday and are calling on Ottawa to fully investigate Niger's death. We reached out to the Surrey RCMP about the threats against Singh and lack of protection, and were told they couldn't discuss it due to privacy. But say police have a duty to warn anyone who may be subject of a credible and imminent risk to their life. And officers conduct safety planning with parties who wish to participate in the process. Singh tells us he has reached out to police after Niger's death, but it's been radio silence. How many of us have to die before you're going to take this seriously? Krista Dow, Global News. A man badly hurt in a home invasion in Prince George has now died. Just after 8 p.m. June 19th, Prince George RCMP were called to a home in the 300 block of Nicholson Street. They found the man suffering from life-threatening injuries. The case is now a homicide investigation, the sixth murder in Prince George so far this year. A woman was also found inside the home. She was treated in hospital for serious injuries. Police are now restating their plea for any witnesses or anyone with surveillance or dash camera video from the area to get in touch. RCMP say a third person has died from a two-vehicle crash early Sunday morning. Both vehicles ended up in the, in the 3300 block of 176th Street. Four people were inside a Hyundai when it collided with a Volkswagen at around 2.45 Sunday morning. Two people died that same day. 
The third died Monday afternoon in hospital and one received non-life-threatening injuries. Police believe speed and alcohol were contributing factors in the crash. The driver of the Volkswagen was arrested but has since been released and ordered not to drive. The investigation continues. Coming up, the extra driver's license you didn't know you needed. At first I was going, you, got, you must be mistaken, there's got to be something wrong here. Why he was rejected by a U.S. rental car company, even though he had a valid B.C. license, and how it could happen to you too. And what Canada needs to keep prices down at the grocery store. Good evening. Traffic is steady both ways tonight across the Portman Bridge. Just watch out for minor delays further east through the Fraser Valley during the overnight hours for some ongoing road work. Select Sussex Insurance and make a difference. When you renew your auto plan online, select your neighborhood. Sussex Insurance when prompted and a donation will be made to Diabetes Canada. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Renting a vehicle in the U.S. is usually a straightforward experience for millions of Canadians, but it certainly wasn't the case for a B.C. man. No, he arrived at his U.S. destination only to be told he couldn't rent the car because he didn't have an international driving permit. Consumer Matters reporter Andrea has the story. That's a real vacation spoiler, Anne. Yeah, it sure is. Thanks, Chris. Jim Kierstead had planned a family vacation for months, only to be left scrambling when he arrived at the car rental counter in California. He says he's been traveling to the U.S. for the past 30 years, and he's never been asked for an international driving permit. Jim Kierstead says he's rented vehicles in the U.S. numerous times without issue until just a few weeks ago when he flew to Disneyland with his family. We went ahead and reserved the car, paid the money, and then we thought it was all said and done. But when the B.C. resident arrived at the airport in California to pick up his vehicle at the dollar car rental counter, Jim says he was told his B.C. driver's license wasn't enough. And you need an international driver's license that they no longer accept B.C. driver's licenses. Jim says he was shocked. Dollar car rental did refund him, but Jim says he was left searching for another car rental at the last minute. He says he spent hours at the airport, finally reserving a rental with a competitor who had no issue with accepting his B.C. driver's license. However, the price of the new rental was substantially more. My original rental car for five days was $420, and I ended up having to pay $1,500. An international driving permit, or IDP, is a conversion of your Canadian driver's license to an international driving classification. The federal government states on its website, Canadians with a provincial or territorial driver's license do not need an IDP to drive in the U.S., Consumer Matters reached out to Hertz Rental Company, which owns Dollar Car Rental, and asked why Jim's B.C. driver's license wasn't accepted. Hertz telling us, Canadian customers renting from Dollar in the U.S. are required to present a valid Canadian driver's license and valid passport in the same name as a second form of identification. Under our policies, an international driver's permit should be requested only in limited situations such as when a driver's license from another country is not in English. Hertz also apologizing and regretting its policy wasn't followed. After Consumer Matters reached out, Jim says Hertz told him the company will be refunding him the difference between the original car rental price and the price he ended up paying for another rental, which amounts to close to $900 U.S. 
Still, it's important for travelers to know some foreign car rental agencies may require you to have an international driving permit to rent a vehicle. BCAA is a provider where you get one. You basically need to fill out an application. You need to have your driver's license with you. Uh, you also do need two uh, standard, standard passport photos, which if you do go into a BCA location to get your, your permit, we can do those right on site. So again, Jim clearly did not need an international driving permit for his time in the U.S. However, if you're wondering if you need one, it's best to check with Travel Canada for full guidelines. You can also check with your destination's embassy or consulate website. It's also recommended you contact your car rental company well in advance. And for more information on how to get an international driving permit, you can go to the BCAA website at bcaa.com IDP. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. Great stuff. Thanks very much, Ann. Well, more competition is needed to make grocery prices more affordable. That's the verdict of a new report from Canada's competition watchdog. As Global's Ann Gaviola explains, this comes in response to persistently high food inflation impacting household budgets across the country. The key findings of this report come as no surprise to people who pay attention to the grocery industry. The five biggest players, Loblaw, Metro, Empire, which owns Sobeys, Walmart and Costco, dominate an estimated 85 to 95 percent of the Canadian market. Food economist Sylvain Charlebois, who provided input to the Competition Bureau for this report, says there's room for more competition and closer scrutiny of how grocers set prices. Margins, uh, although they've been average, Generally speaking, uh, they are actually double of what they are in the U.S. So grocers are, are in a cozy environment in Canada. Margins are actually much higher. A big question this report answered was related to margins, the amount of profit grocers make when they sell food. Executives have consistently said their margins have remained steady on food items, but the competition watchdog's investigation found the country's largest grocers increased gross margins on food by a modest but meaningful amount over the last five years, meaning there is room for competition in the industry. The Bureau has a lot of work to do in terms of gaining the trust of Canadians and how forceful they are in going after companies that do break the law. And I do believe that there is a price-fixing culture in the food industry. This news comes as overall inflation in Canada is cooling, though food prices continue to rise. The Competition Bureau also says international brands could be enticed into the market to help bring down prices. This report calls for standardized packaging units to crack down on so-called shrinkflation. That's where consumers pay more because the price of an item remains the same, but the amount of food is reduced. The recommendations are aimed at all levels of government and comes as the Bureau continues its investigation of the bread price-fixing scandal involving the country's biggest grocers conspiring to artificially inflate the price of bread in 2007 and 2011. Critics say the fact that this is still dragging on some 15 years after it happened suggests a level of complacency when it comes to price gouging at the grocery store. Anne Gaviola, Global News, Toronto. Just ahead, desperate for doctors. Leave us hanging in there <laughs> without a doctor. A community faces the closure of an entire clinic, leaving thousands without family physicians. And if you need to fill up, why you should wait just a little bit longer to save some money.
evening. Traffic is steady both ways at the Patello Bridge, but dealing with some minor delays southbound right now due to a stall at the north end in the left lane. Contact Kermac for expert windshield repair and replacement services while supporting Kermac Cares for Kids. Kermac is celebrating 50 years of collision and auto glass services. Choose the best. I'm in the Global Traffic Center. Well, if you're thinking of buying gas today, you should probably hold out until tomorrow if you can. Prices are expected to fall by about eight cents a liter by Wednesday morning, dropping from roughly 205.9 to 197.9. Petroleum analyst Dan McTagg says that's because some pipeline maintenance south of the border is wrapping up. Great news for consumers, uh, gasoline will fall eight cents a liter tonight because of the reopening of uh, the Olympic pipeline. It's an important uh, piece of infrastructure, sends a lot of gasoline throughout the Pacific Northwest, does affect us here in the lower mainland, and uh, its reopening after a week of maintenance means that there's no longer any restriction in supply. Thousands of patients are feeling anxious as more and more family doctors close their practices. Many physicians are reaching retirement age and they're having trouble finding doctors to take over. As Janet Brown reports, the health minister is promising help is on the way. It's very scary. <laughs> you know, what do you do when you're 80 years old? This Brookswood family practice in Langley is closing December 1st, leaving roughly 4,000 patients without a doctor. I do definitely need a doctor. I've got uh, an illness, a crippling illness, and it's got to be looked after constantly. This woman needs a new doctor for her aging mother, who's been coming to the Brookswood practice for over two decades. My mom's 87 and a half, and I can't just take her to a walk-in clinic and wait for two or three hours or to emergency and wait for five or six or ten hours, which I've had to do in the past. In Coquitlam, this family practice is also closing the end of August with four doctors retiring. I'm hoping that my family being that we're younger and healthier, a physician will take us and then I can slide in and say, oh, and can you take my mom? Health Minister Adrian Dix is suggesting health is on the way. What we're doing and what we're changing and we'll have quite a bit more to say very, very soon on this question. We're building out an attachment model where people will be able to engage through health uh, uh, HealthLink BC and uh, request a family doctor. The College of Physicians and Surgeons of BC says 36% of family physicians in BC are 55 or older. 24% are over 60. Thank you. For Lyle Balderson, a new doctor can't come soon enough. At 80 years old, uh, devastating. I'm diabetic. I uh, have epilepsy. I, I need doctor care. So where do we go from here? Doctors of B.C. say nearly one million people across B.C. can't access a family doctor right now. Janet Brown, Global News. Still ahead, a hockey pioneer. It's so nice to be, to be recognized. She grew up in B.C., but now she's growing the game in Florida. Plus... I need a... Credit card that got no limit and a big black jet with the bedroom in it. Gonna join the Who doesn't want to sing along? He might be the most entertaining coach in the MLS. Why Whitecap Vanny Sartini is belting out a Nickelback tune coming up. From the stories that affect us all to a look at what's happening right now around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News.
got some active weather out there. Mm -hmm. Christy is here now with uh, some thunderstorm warnings, Christy. Yeah, so they've been popping up throughout the afternoon hours and will continue into the evening as well. One of them uh, was sort of just north of Hope. We've got a few thunderstorms there, but non-severe at this time. We're actually focusing in on this area in yellow where from the uh, Okanagan Connector, sort of the Panask Summit area, there's this line of thunderstorms from the actual highway itself north towards the Provincial Park area. So those thunderstorms have the potential of producing pea-sized hail, certainly a lot of lightning strikes, downpours of rain as well. Well, that is tracking slowly towards us, so could continue to impact the Okanagan Connector over the next little while. Uh, we also have a number of thunderstorms in the BC Peace River area. No severe thunderstorm warnings in effect, but you can see a lot of lightning strikes and some pretty significant downpours of rain across the region, impacting not only northern BC Peace River area, but in southern BC Peace River area a little earlier. Now, we talked about the change in the weather forecast. We were expecting that surge in heat into the long weekend. It looks like the models are sort of shifting from that and that we'll see an upper level trough so meaning that the temperatures won't be quite as hot we're still don't we just still don't have any significant rain in the forecast though as far as we can see for southern bc but for the central and northern parts of the province you will start to see a change with more rain the north coast in particular for tomorrow some rainfall on, on the way but hot and sunny across most other regions for your wednesday we are expecting uh, a, a risk of thunderstorms though in the afternoon so keep your eye on the sky but that is not in, uh, we don't have the potential for the Fraser Valley region. For our region, it is going to be hot and sunny, but not too hot. I think through the long weekend, you'll love the conditions, but be, as we've been talking about, be super diligent. Be really careful. Beautiful shot from Pitt Lake Loop. I'd love to walk this trail. Mar uh, Mariella sent us this one with the lupins. I believe those are lupins, uh, the pink flowers there. Thanks so much. Beautiful. Thank you, Mariella. Well, you haven't seen this shot in a while. We got the whole band together today. <laughs> yes, that's true. I came back. Sophie, you've yeah, been you off back. enjoying. Yeah, I had to remember how to put on TV makeup. <laughs> so it was, uh, I don't know if it really worked out that well, but I'll get back into the groove. Glad yeah. to have you back. You look fine to me. Thanks. Yeah, that's right. Squire, what do you go? What are you working on? Well, the uh, the Canucks tomorrow, at least right now, are going to draft 11th overall in the first round. The last time we saw a great 11, I think, was that girl from Stranger Things. She was 11. <laughs> Patrick Alvine says his scouts have some targets. I think there is a couple, a handful of players that they're excited about to uh, potentially get to get 11. Well, that's nice. Uh, last year, they took Swedish forward Jonathan LeCaramacki, 15th overall. They say, as they all say, it doesn't matter. It's best player available. Also coming up tonight, well-deserved recognition for a hockey player and league organizer in Florida who's never forgotten her BC roots. Squires here with sports. It's going to be a spinal tap version of the NHL draft tomorrow. Canucks turning it up to 11. <laughs> That's a good reference. I don't know. That's not bad. I tried. Um, it did work. Tomorrow at 4 o'clock is the NHL draft. And it looks like Vancouver will stay at 11th overall. Patrick Alvin has poked around to see if he can make a trade and move up. But there were no takers. There were some trades today. Tyler Toffoli went to the New Jersey Devils. Pierre-Luc Dubois is now an L.A. King. 
the only thing we know for sure about the draft tomorrow is Connor Bedard is going to go first overall to Chicago. 11th is a mystery, but it could be Swedish defenseman Tom Volander or Axel Sandim Pelika. If the Canucks have a shot at them, they might go for one of them. I think our, our scouting staff did a really good job last year identifying uh, McWard, Hirose, uh, Philip Johansson. Um, but again, uh, if there is a, a defenseman available uh, at 11 uh, that our guys think is, is the best player available, uh, we definitely uh, will pick that guy. You know, I, I think we were pretty good last year spreading out the, the picks and positions and, and uh, we were able to get a goalie in there as well. So. I think we're, depending on uh, who the player is and, and potential upside, we, we definitely, as, as the draft moves along in the second day there, we, we'll probably uh, discuss it at the table. The Canucks have released their regular season schedule. Next season starts October 11th at home against Edmonton. It'll end April 18th on the road against Winnipeg. If they need some help in a playoff push, remember those things, playoff pushes? The Canucks will have a nine-game homestand in March. They'll have nine back-to-back -back games next season. 23 games will be on Saturday, 12 of those at home. Here are some notable home dates for teams not in the Pacific Division. Toronto is going to be here January 20th. Montreal also a big draw on the 21st. Connor Bedard in Chicago making an appearance on January 22nd. Boston, great regular season, terrible playoff, February 24th. Um, Washington and Pittsburgh, who are always big draws with uh, Crosby and Ovechkin. Uh, they'll be here March 16th and February 27th. Gold Cup, we just had the Nations League, now it's Gold Cup for Canada. Some different players in this one. Ali Ahmed of the uh, Whitecaps is on this team. No Alfonso Davies, no Jonathan David. Guadalupe is the opposition, and Guadalupe scores first. Michael Ambrose makes it 1-0 in the 23rd minute. Then, former Vancouver Whitecap Lucas Cavallini, who's kind of the big striker without David around. He gets the goal to make it 1-1. Ahmed will start this play that actually ends in an own goal against Guadalupe. So now it's 2-1 for John Herdman's side. But they can't hold the lead. An own goal of our own, you might want to say. Russell Rowe has this one go off of him right in front of Milan Borian, and it's a 2-2 final. That's a shock. Canada plays Guatemala on Saturday down in Houston. Now, the Whitecaps' next game is Saturday in Kansas City, but Vanny Sartini has a big night tomorrow as well. Being a Renaissance man with a rock and roll heart, Vanny is going to be on stage with Nickelback at Rogers Arena, helping them sing their 2006 hit, Rockstar. I want you to concentrate it to the fantastic memory of last year. This is the voice Vanny Sartini's players are used to hearing. Wednesday night, Vanny's pitch and the audience he's targeting those vocal cords at goes from the octave scale of coach to onstage rock star. To stand in the line, never get in, it's like the bottom of the night, then I'm never gonna win. This life hasn't turned out the way I want it to be. Tell me what you want. I want a brand new house on an episode of Cribs and a bathroom I can play baseball in. It was in this Seafox studio on the Jeff O'Neill Morning Show where Vanny was on as a guest promoting an upcoming Whitecaps match that his unofficial rock star dream started to take shape. In partnership with Nickelback, Seafox held a contest to perform on stage with the band and Vanny was the overwhelming winner. 
This was our idea. We concocted this idea a couple of months ago and thought this might uh, this might sound really cool. If we could put a listener on stage with Nickelback. Scott said, hey, Vanny, can you sing Rockstar? And he said, I don't know the words. But he downloaded the words and he sang it and it made us laugh so hard that he had to win. He was a natural. I want a brand new house on an episode of Creeps and a bathroom I can play baseball in and a king-size top big enough for 10 plus me. We threw it out in the blue. Hey, Vanny, what do you think? Didn't know the song. Took part of a practice away from the team to learn the song. And then sent it like Monday night. And we're like, this is the greatest thing ever. And we mixed it with the Nickelback song. And we're like, this is absolute gold. Hang out in the coolest bars. The VIP with the movie stars. It's it's so awesome. And, and it's just a testament to him. Like he's literally, he's that guy you're growing up with. Who's in? Well, Vanny's always in. He's the first one in, so we're pretty jazzed. Actually, this is a song and other songs from Nickelback. I listened to them when I was in Italy like 20 years ago. So that's, uh, it's going to be pretty cool. And, you know, I always dreamed of uh, winning an Oscar and doing a speech on the Academy Awards. But okay, this one is pretty cool too. So it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. He's so passionate. I think there's a reason why he's the coach that rips his shirt off after a game to celebrate with fans, sings to fans. Hey, hey, I want to be a rock star. <laughs> Standing O for Vanny. He's so good. So you know, he, as you said, he's into it. Yeah. No fear. He commits. Fanny yeah, is, he is sure he, no fear. All right. Thank uh, you. Uh, all right. Speaking of commitment, the BC woman who turned Fort Lauderdale, Florida into a hockey powerhouse. That's next. This is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. 50 years of trust in your community. All right, Jordan Armstrong is here now with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jordan? Sophie, another blow for the Hells Angels in B.C. will have the latest court ruling to not go their way. Also tonight, the Western Premier's not happy with Ottawa's delay in passing bail reforms for chronic offenders. Last week, Parliament rose for the summer without passing the legislation required to amend the criminal code. We'll hear from the Premiers as they wrap up their meeting in Whistler tonight at 11. Sophie? All right, thanks for that, Jordan. So Fort Lauderdale, Florida is a long way from Hunter Mile House, but B.C.'s Karen Oda O'Brien found a second home in the Sunshine State way back in 1989. When she left B.C., though, she took a love of hockey with her and is now nationally recognized as a pioneer in her sport. And as Jay Durant shows us tonight on This Is B.C., she credits her parents, who survived both an internment camp and residential school. A spot on a men's team was the only option for Karen Oto O'Brien when she arrived in Florida more than 30 years ago. It's hard to play with men you, you know, when you run into, when they run into somebody like you, it hurts. After shattering a shin bone, blocking a shot, it was time to form her own women's team. Trying to find a place for me and my girlfriends to play. <laughs> That one team has now expanded into a statewide 11-city all-women's league co-founded by Karen. You're on a good line. She learned to skate on frozen fields growing up on the family cattle ranch in 100 Mile House. Nice move. Nice move, Kate. Drawing inspiration from her parents at a young age. Just their upbringing. And mom, she was brought up, um, you know, in the Camlets residential uh, school. Dad, when the, the war hit, 
um, all the Japanese were put into interim camps, so he was shipped to uh, New Denver. How you been liking it? Girls were treating you okay? Yeah, Over the years, she's helped countless women learn the game, often getting a very similar reaction. I sat on the stands all these, you know, all these years. Now it's time for mom to go out. And I went out and played and went, wow, this is fun. Why haven't I ever played this before? Almost three and a half decades later, she was just named USA Hockey Adult Player of the Year and nominated by the NHL for the Willie O'Ree Community Hero Award. Sorry, I'm starting to cry, but it's so nice to be to be recognized. From those frozen fields to the Sunshine State, a worthy honor for a hockey pioneer who's done so much to help grow the game in the southern tip of the U.S. I'm touched, I'm honored. Um, yeah, I'm tickled pink. <laughs> Good goals, ladies! Jay Durant, Global News. And yes. Well done with the Canucks colors. Mm -hmm. Don't forget to send your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Another good one for sure. Okay, we are getting closer to that long weekend and uh, mm, lots of warm temperatures too, Christy. Yes, thankfully not too hot, and that's really what we want. Nice and comfortable, but lots of uh, sunshine, as you can see. As we've been talking about, though, no rain in the forecast, so be super careful out there, everyone, but enjoy. For sure. That's street hockey weather, not ice <laughs> hockey weather. Thanks for watching, everyone. See you tomorrow. Good night, all.